Well, I invite you again to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We have made our way to the last two sermons of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's here that we understand that we are engaged in a cosmic war led by a heavenly exalted Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Not only do we have a heavenly exalted Christ, but we also have been given a storehouse or a supply of his armor. That we have been that we who have been united to Christ by faith have put on Christ and so are equipped not only for this age, but for the purpose of this age, which is the conforming his people, the calling his lost sheep to himself, and then the conforming them into the image of the Son, whereby we are made more fit for heaven. And so in that way, God is able to uh, receive more glory for to him. Or in a more technical sense, not that he receives what he does not have, but that we are able to ascribe more glory to him. For we, his people, will be able to experience more of his mercy in this age. And after having set before us, or, or having set before us uh, the armor of our Savior, we are encouraged with that protection that uh, it works in us a preservation during this time and a preservation from such uh, cosmic forces as uh, rulers and powers and world forces, spiritual forces of wickedness. He gives us the means by which also, he also gives us the means by which to make it effectual for our benefit. And that is the means that we began to look at last week, and we continue to look at this week, for we will discover that it works also towards God's purposes for his glorious kingdom. Prayer works towards God's purposes for his glorious kingdom. Read with me, or follow along as I read for us, Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read verses 10 through 13 to give us some context, and then verses 18 through 22. The word of the Lord says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. 
And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances how I am doing. Titicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to him for help again. O Lord in heaven, we come to you this morning and we ask your help by your spirit, Lord, to work through this means of the ministry of your word, to work in the hearts and minds and souls of your people, they would be blessed by your word this morning. That as they are true to your word, that they would be a blessing to your people. That as your people, Lord, we may be assured that by your spirit, we may not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. So we ask you, Lord, this morning to work through your servant to do such things for your glory alone. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've been uh, making our way through this last uh, couple sections or this last section in Ephesians 6, we saw last week, or we observed last week, that as armor-clad Christian soldiers, you are to run to your commander in prayer, that you are to seek his help, not only in times of want, but at all times. For we are ever in need of his grace. And not just for our own needs, but also for the needs of our fellow pilgrims. This means of grace, this prayer that we are to pray at all times and that we are to pray in the spirit, is for our benefit that as we are armor-clad Christian soldiers, we have our commander to address our concerns, our needs to. And in a way, it works, to, uh, it works through all the uh, pieces of armor, as we looked at last week, really giving them uh, effectual action or, or making them effectual to our benefit so that by, these, by this means, we can uh, not only... Uh, fill our own needs or come and find uh, provision for our own needs, but that we may petition our Lord for the needs of our fellow pilgrims. Well, this week, as Paul turns in his letter from prayer for all the saints to specifically prayer for him, and then specifically what his way of outward working of his prayers are, we, uh, we set out to understand that our corporate gathering is a kingdom gathering whereby the kingdom advances and in which we are to pray confidently 
in the promises of God and so are further sustained in our current exile. So our, our working theme this morning is that we set out that, that our corporate gathering is a kingdom gathering whereby the kingdom advances and in which we are to pray confident in the promises of God and so are further sustained in our current exile. We, we, uh, as we address our passage this morning, we will follow this outline. Kingdom furtherance, confident dependence, and gospel sustenance. So kingdom furtherance, gospel depend- or confident dependence, and gospel sustenance. I wonder if we know this morning that the Lord is working through this gathering of his people as we attend to his means on his day in his purposes to further the kingdom of God, to accomplish the mission of Christ in his church. Michael Allen says, surely it is a strategic rhetorical move here to remind them that the kingdom is advancing in this epoch or in this age. While defensive postures are necessary, they are not sufficient to describe the apostolic and missiological vision of Ephesians. In other words, Paul just got done describing to uh, the Ephesians or the believers in Ephesus what they have to protect them in defense. The armor of God is, is a defensive armor. It protects us in, in every aspect of our spiritual being as we see it, uh, as we see a soldier fully arrayed in armor, so are our souls fully arrayed in the armor of God. And largely, save the sword of the Spirit, It's a defensive posture. Even the sword of the Spirit is to be used defensively in its primary context of Ephesians chapter 6. But yet, though we are defensive against such rulers and authorities as described for us in verse 12, there is still an advancement of the kingdom taking place. That, That we're not just cowering in a corner or we're not just huddled in, in, in a holy huddle whereby we're just hoping we don't get hurt or we, we're just hoping that we're not put under, but there's actual kingdom furtherances to be taken place. And Paul connects this to prayer. He says, pray on my behalf in verse 19 that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is saying, pray for my ministry. Pray that it goes forth, that it is successful, that I am able to speak boldly the mystery of the gospel. It may seem counterintuitive that Paul would go from defensive posture to kingdom advancement, to kingdom furtherance. 
But he does so because the idea of Ephesians is not just that we would be protected in our souls by putting on Christ, but by putting on Christ, we would then be able to advance against the gates of hell. But we must know something about this. We must understand something about this advancement because we may find as, uh, as Americans who uh, recite the Pledge of Allegiance, One Nation Under God, and we, we think about its beginning and, and how many Christian roots are involved in that and how much platitudes are, are associated with that, and even uh, the mixturing of such thoughts within our current church context of such ideas as Christian nationalism or uh, other ideas as you may not be uh, familiar with the term, but this idea of theonomy that we may take the old covenant law as a standard for all laws of the nation and so champion that into the realm of our uh, political context. We must understand that Paul is setting this kingdom advancement in the realm of this heavenly reality of the exalted Christ, of these cosmic, this cosmic warfare. So that we don't go to church wondering how we're going to fight against that opposing political party. We don't come to church to find out how we're going to tear down the altars of Baal, the altars of, uh, of, uh, of the false gods within our community. We come to the worship service of the Lord to see how, if we have set up any high places in our hearts so that we may tear them down by the work of the Spirit, that we may identify the high places of society or the false worship of society in this world and, and the suggestions of Satan within it so that we may not succumb to that temptation. But that this in this time, that through these prayers, we are advancing the kingdom. We know that Christ says in John 18, in answering Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Christ is speaking to the highest authority in the Judean area as he's speaking to Pontius Pilate, who's the governor over that province. And he's saying, Look, I'm not here to overthrow the government. If I, were be, if I were to come to overthrow the government, you would know it because it would happen. But he says, my kingdom is not of this realm. He came to bring the kingdom of God and establish it in the hearts and minds of his people and to establish outposts of his kingdom whereby the kingdom is to advance in this age and accomplish all that he set to accomplish. So we must be reminded this morning that the kingdom is not advanced through the weapons and tools of the common kingdom, but through the weapons and tools of Christ's kingdom. So that we don't set up a Christian political action party 
We don't set up a, a Christian organization to establish, to make the world, as Brad reminded us last week, to make the world look more like the church. What we should be looking to do is to make sure that the church continues to look more like Christ. That is the way the kingdom advances. And it advances here in its infancy through the preaching and announcement and proclamation of the apostolic message. The apostolic message of the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel that Paul is, pre is preaching or speaking about is the inclusion of the Gentiles. Inclusion of the Gentiles into the household of God. He'd already spoken previously where he says these Gent you Gentiles have been excluded. You were excluded. You were aliens. You were outside the temple. You were outside the household of God, but now you have been brought near. The dividing wall of hostility has been removed. The kingdom advances. And it may not seem like we are advancing the kingdom this morning. When we think of conquest, we often think of gathered armies, tactical plans, we actually take physical boundaries and we go and we, we claim things for whatever nation or whatever group that you're, you're, you're seeking to do. You may not think that you are advancing the kingdom this morning by just being here and participating in these means of grace. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you in absence, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence which I propose or propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. He's saying that you, I, the, the um, assumption is that I will come in boldness and oppose in the flesh people. I will come in and be a, a, a general pattern, right? Lead the people with boldness and, and confidence. And yet Paul is saying that by meekness and the gentleness of Christ, he comes to them with, uh, this message, because though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lawfully thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What is Paul saying there about these weapons that we possess, not in the flesh, but we possess in the Spirit of God? The weapons that we propose this morning are not ones of metal and steel, not ones of political acumen or action, but words, but weapons of word and sacrament. Weapons of means of grace, and specifically in Ephesians 6, the weapon of prayer. 
Could you imagine in a political debate if the two sides got up and, and one si the question was answered, and if they could actually answer the question, that's a whole other story, but the one person answers the question according to their political view and the other person says, I, I, I know what I'll defeat you with. And then he closes his eyes for two minutes and he says, there, I've done it. Weapons of this world, that's not a weapon of this world, right? Rhetorical sharpness and debating skills in that political arena are weapons of this world. We see it in some politicians and we admire it in the ones that do it well. But for the church, Paul says, I seek to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Yes, we can know these things well and we should be uh, apologetically sharp to answer the concerns of, of those that we know and that, that we have influence over. But brothers and sisters, our weapons are not of this world. They're of word and sacrament. Paul says that all this is working towards taking every thought captive. So then every Lord's Day we gather to proclaim that every idea, every motive, every desire, and every decision belongs to Christ. How do we advance the kingdom this morning? We advance the kingdom through word and sacrament and prayer. And by doing so, the Spirit works to take every thought of ours captive so that every idea, motive, desire, and decision belongs to Christ. Paul was expressing this same idea when he identified himself in chapter 3 as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was a prisoner of Rome in the flesh, but he saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. Why? Because it was because his captivity belonged to Christ. In chapter 4 he says he was a prisoner of the Lord, again repeating Similar phraseology. And here in chapter 6, he says he's an ambassador in chains. One commentator says that he refers to himself as an ambassador or an emissary minister, an authorized representative, rather than an executive calling his own shots. As an ambassador, he goes in the name of another, speaks the words of another for the purposes of another. An ambassador doesn't have their own agenda. They come with the agenda of who they're an emissary for. Paul's saying that he comes as an ambassador in chains. His physical chains, the assumption is that he has physical chains on. But he's saying they, they matter not because I belong to Christ. I'm actually chained to Christ. So that though this government that has taken him uh, into prison under the false accusation of others, and, and he may find himself, if he was in the American context, he could hire any number of uh, lawyer organizations to fight for his rights. And I'm not saying nobody should do that, but I'm trying to say is that we must not see that as advancing the kingdom. Advancing the kingdom is those that are falsely accused on the account of Christ see them see their chains as Christ's chains, as, as being ambassadors of Christ. 
as we've considered Paul's context of writing this letter from prison and what that has produced according to the kingdom, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 now. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment is the cause of Christ, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorium guard, praetorian guard, and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul is asking for prayers in the church, in the service of God, for the proclamation of the gospel. And so in turn, as he sends Titicus to them to comfort them with the words of Paul and assumingly with the words of Christ through the ministry of the word, word and prayer, and we know when they gathered, they broke bread together, word, sacrament, and prayer, we see that Paul is saying that under that knowledge, the advancement of the kingdom or the deterrence of the advancement of the kingdom cannot be touched by his imprisonment by his unjust imprisonment, but it actually works the opposite because it works to the greater progress of the gospel. We see that the Lord advances his kingdom through the means he has ordained and promised to bless toward this end. And for Paul, this is to induce a confident dependence in prayer. Paul is asking for things that he has and has received already. He says, pray in my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Paul has already spoken in utterances. He's been led by the Spirit to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's done so. He's made known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He said, he said it in Corinthians. He, he, he has not shirked away from it. He even says it in, in earlier in Ephesians that he's made known to them the mysteries of the gospel. So what is it, his intention here? What is the idea here that he's asking them to pray for him in this way? Calvin observes, he says, it may seem that Paul doubted God when he questioned his own ability to remain firm and asked for the intercession of others. But this is not the case. Paul never asked for anything that was contrary to God's word. The only aids he relied on were those promised and approved by God. You want to be sure of your prayers to be answered with yes and amen? Pray according to God's promises. Pray according to his revealed will in scripture. And receive a bounty of God's answered prayers to you. This is Paul's working here when he's asking them to pray according to what Christ had promised. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Let us see where Christ had promised such things. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 26. When the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, Christ speaking to the disciples, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Earlier, he had, uh, or uh, just after that, he tells them the advantage of, of him going is that the helper will come in verse 7. The helper will come because Christ will send him to them. And then in verse 12 of chapter 16, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Christ tells the disciples, I've got a lot more to teach you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you what is to come. He will glorify me, and he will make of mine, and will disclose it to you. And he will take of mine, and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine, and will disclose it to you. Besides the Trinitarian implication of one shared knowledge of God, what we have here is the sending of the Spirit of truth to the apostles, to teach them and guide them in all truth. So that by that, by their reading of the Old Testament scriptures under the inspiration of, of scripture and coming to uh, inspired conclusions and writing them down, preaching them or writing them down, we find that they speak not on their own initiative, but they speak upon, uh, upon the initiative of the Spirit. And Paul is saying, pray that this would happen for me. Paul has already identified himself as an apostle of Christ, and so he's praying according to the promises of Christ. And so he prays that, that he prays with this confidence that God, Christ will do what he has promised to do. And yet he uh, petitions the Ephesians to join him in this means, so that they may be participatory in the works of Christ. That they would have confident dependence in their prayers. That there would be spirit-led apostolic teaching. Teaching that leads to spirit-breathed revelation that is recorded for us. And so as I said, Paul was asking for prayer according to God's promises. And he was confidently dependent upon prayer for the fulfillment of those promises. I am moved to quote to you Wolfgang Musculus, not just because he uh, has wonderful thoughts, but because he has a wonderful name. Wolfgang, Wolfgang Musculus says Paul used his own case as an example by which to teach the Ephesians that every one of them had to pray and ask God to grant what they needed to fulfill their calling. He was himself an apostle of Christ called to the task of preaching the gospel and revealing the mystery of Christ. 
In the same way, each Christian must look after his own calling and ask God to grant him what he needs to fulfill it properly. By calling, he means station in life. We all have our own station in life, our own place in life, whether it be a husband or a father, a wife or a mother, a man or a woman, an elder or a member, but that we would pray according to God's promises in his word and have faith to know that he will fulfill his promises. We go to battle every day against suggestions of the evil one in our flesh and our world and our world that prayer doesn't work and that you need something more than this kingdom advancement event this morning. Brothers and sisters, Christ will provide what you need to fulfill your station properly. As we go to him in prayer, as we come to him in faith, and pray according to his promises, we may have the confident hope and dependence upon that prayer that we will receive what God has promised us in Christ. And we may follow up those prayers to ask Christ and the Spirit to work in us to have contentment that that is enough. As the kingdom advances through the ordinary means of grace, inducing in us confident dependence and prayer, we will see how this works towards our sustenance now. First, let's see how Paul employs this, this idea of gospel sustenance, employs this in his own prayers for the believers at Ephesus. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. What does he mention them about? He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Let's see another example in Ephesians 3 beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. There is something you can pray for with confident hope, that God would strengthen us in his power through his Spirit in our inner man, our inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height 
and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Oh Lord, help us know your love more. Oh Lord, as I read your word, may I know your, your love more. Oh Lord, when I go to church this morning and occasionally this evening, may I know your love more. Paul followed that up in verse 20 with an overflow of praise. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's look at an Old Testament example in Psalm 55 before we finish this morning. We want to pray in the Spirit. We want to pray according to His promises as we, as we recognize the work of the Spirit in advancing His kingdom in these ordinary means of grace. See the words here of the psalmist in Psalm 55. There are many things that are being prayed against and prayed for, and there's protection against enemies here, and there's very specific protections to be asked for, and we may understand them in a way that maybe we don't have people speaking such evil things about us, or we don't have a friend in this context who has um, uh, betrayed us in such an intimate way. But we know our own hearts and our own minds who portray us in the most intimate of ways. We know uh, the evil one who suggests things that, that we should think about our other brothers and sisters and make assumptions about their motives. And so we may feel assailed in our own minds accordingly. And look at Psalm 55 in verse 16. As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For they are many who strive with for they are, they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old, with whom there is no change, and who do not fear God. Consider, and then verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And if we come back to Ephesians chapter 6 and we recognize that Paul's asking for prayer and then cooperatively saying he's sending Tychicus uh, uh, to them to comfort them, to comfort not just them, but comfort their hearts with Paul's words, with apostolic teaching, with the ministry of the word and prayer, and as we said, implied as sacraments, they are to be comforted from all that assails them. They are to be comforted in the knowledge that the gospel, the message of the gospel can sustain them. But they are to trust the Lord 
So that we see in these final words, this petition to prayer on his behalf, and then his intention to send the beloved brother, or actually the one who delivered the message to them, maybe reading it in their midst. We don't know those circumstances, but playing out in front of them, they are able to see that we are able to see with them that our corporate gathering is a kingdom gathering whereby the kingdom advances and in which we are to pray confident in the promises of God and so are further sustained in our current exile. We all want to make it to the end. You're in the right place. You're attending to the right means, for God has promised to use them for that end. And prayer is a means that we can take up daily and often throughout the day and come to our commander in the confident hope and knowledge that he will accomplish all that he has promised. Let us by faith hold to that, that that is enough, and that we may with joy advance the kingdom together this morning and as many more mornings and evenings that he provides us until his return. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have promised such wonderful things to us in Christ and that you have given us these means not just for our rote repetition, but by working of your Spirit in our hearts, Lord, by the cosmic reality of the advancement of your kingdom. What wondrous things are accomplished this morning by these means, far beyond we ask or can think of. What wonders they are. Thank you for your love displayed before us this morning as we have read about it sung about it, prayed about it, preached about it. Lord, now be with us as we see it before our eyes and hold it in our hands. May it be a comfort to us always now and always in our time of need. And may it be a source of joy and praise in all other times. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we do turn our attention to the Lord's table.